Uh, we're going to be in Exodus 17 uh, tonight, so if you have a Bible with you or uh, whatever you have, your phone, your iPad, or, or whatever it is, uh, just uh, turn to Exodus 17. Uh, while you're turning there, I want, I want to know this. How many of you enjoy traveling by a raise of hands? How many of you like to travel? Okay, yeah, I do too. I love traveling. How many of you, your preferred way of traveling is flying? Like, you, you love flying? Nobody. Wow. Okay, okay, a couple of you, yeah. How many of you like driving? Okay. See, for me, I love flying. Okay, flying is, is, is one of my favorite things to do. The problem is that something always goes wrong, right? Something, every time you fly, something always goes wrong. I remember when I was traveling for, for neighborhood Bible time two summers ago, uh, I, I was told that I was going to be by myself for two weeks, which is kind of unheard of. You normally don't travel by yourself. And so they told me I was going to be traveling by myself. And so I get to the airport, I separate from my partner, and I go to the, the, the check-in where the baggage was, and I had never heard of this airline before. I can't, I can't even remember what the airline was, call, was called. I've never heard of it before. I go up to the gate and they weigh my baggage, which is normal. You know, you put your one bag on there, you put your other bag on there, and, and they weigh your baggage. They put, they, they, then they ask me, hey, can you put your carry-on bag on there? And I was like, ah, that's a little weird, but yeah, sure. I put my carry-on bag on there, they weighed it, they put it back. And then they ask me, they, actually, no, then they say, hey, can, can you put your backpack on there? Which is also weird. They never ask you to put your backpack on there. So I put my backpack on there, they weighed that, handed it back to me, I put it back on my back. And then they ask me this question, which kind of let me know that the rest of the day was not going to go very well. They said, hey, how much do you weigh? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, no, like, you're not supposed to ask that question. So I told them how much I weigh. I'm not going to tell you how much I weigh. And uh, so they ask me how much I weigh. I tell them, and then they say, okay, you're meeting at this gate. I go out to the gate, and uh, it, it was super weird. They had this elevator that goes down to the actual, like, the tarmac where the planes take off from. And, and the elevator was right there. And when you check in, you didn't go down a hallway like you normally do when you get on a plane. You went onto the elevator, down to the tarmac. I walk out, and there's this little puddle jumper of a plane, right? It's got, like, six seats. There's the two pilots in there. So we all pile on. They throw our bags in the bottom of this plane. We all get it. And they had to, they had to distribute us amongst the plane by how much we weighed so that the plane didn't topside while, while we were flying. So I get in this plane. There's no air conditioning in this plane. This plane is hot. It's ridiculous. It, it, and I'm wearing a suit because when you travel for neighborhood Bible time, you always have to wear a suit. And I am just sweating my mind out. And I get in the plane. And you know how they have that safety talk before they get in the plane where they, they say, you know, make sure you, you take the thing behind your seat when you have to jump into water and, and make sure you, you put the mask on right. The only safety instructions we got on that flight was a pilot turned around. They said, hey, if the plane catches on fire, there's a fire extinguisher under my seat. Grab it, put the fire out. That's it. So I fly to, to Illinois, and there's nothing but corn, and it was just a terrible day. And when you have days like that, that are just awful, what do you tend to do? If you're anything like me, when you have a terrible day like that, the first thing, your first reaction is not, oh man, praise God, God's good, this is great, it's awesome. No, that's not a first reaction. See, for human beings, our first reaction is almost always to complain about the situation that we're Human beings have this thing where we love to complain. It's estimated that human beings complain about 15 to 30 times every day. Americans complain 15 to 30 times every single day. And sometimes we, we, we just look for things to complain about. Like, I mean, if we go to Culver's or something and we sit down, like our burger is good, but then, then our fries are soggy. Or our drink, if, if those are both good, then our drink is too watery. Or, or if all of those things are good, then our seat is uncomfortable. Or the walls are painted the wrong color. Or it's too cold. Or it's too hot. We, we find things to complain about. We look for things. But what is complaining? If we were to ask ourselves, what's the, what's the definition of complaining? Many of us wouldn't really know what to say, but the best definition that I've heard of complaining is this. Complaining 
is telling God that you could have done better. Complaining is when you say, you look at God and you say, God, I could have done better than you. That's what, that's what complaining is. And it's one of those sins that we kind of dismiss because everybody does it and we do it so much. It's one of those things where we're like, where it doesn't really matter. It's okay. Like everybody complains, so, so it's fine. Like because everybody does it, it's okay. But what we don't understand is just like any sin, it is destroying you. It destroys you from the inside. It destroys your relationships. It destroys your relationships with your spouse, with your kids, with, your, with God. It destroys you from the inside. Complaining. The sin that we, that we so often dismiss. I want to look at a story in Exodus 17 of a group of people that, that complained. In, in Exodus, we, we, we all, most of us know this story. Right, Israel's been in this captivity in Egypt for about 400 years. They've been in this captivity. They've been building bricks. Their society told them that if they didn't produce, then they weren't worth anything. They're in this society where they're just constantly, they're just constantly beat and they're in slavery. And then God, through Moses and through the 10 plagues, he, he takes those, he takes Moses, he, he takes the 10 plagues, he delivers them out of Egypt, right? And immediately, as soon as Israel is delivered out of Egypt, they, they, fail miserably. They get to the Red Sea and, and they turn around and they realize that Pharaoh is following them and so they be immediately, as soon as they're out, they begin to complain. They begin to see, man, God, I, I, I can't believe that you would let us do this. I can't believe that, that, that we're going to die in Egypt. Moses, you led us out here into Egypt to kill us. That's what they said. And then Moses, he, he goes to God. He said, God, I, I don't know what to do. And God says, okay, go to the water, smite it with your rod. I'm going to part the Red Sea. Moses goes over, smites the water. God parts the Red Sea. Israel walks through. Egypt's destroyed. Right? God miraculously provides for them. And then we come to this place called Mara. Right? And Mara, it's the Hebrew word for bitter. And that's exactly what the waters at Mara were. They were bitter. They were toxic. Israel couldn't drink them. And so they get to Marah, and, and they, they, they try to drink the water. They realize this, this water is toxic. We can't drink it. And they begin to once again complain to God. God, I can't believe you would bring us out into this wilderness. I can't believe that, that you would bring us here to die. We would have been better, just like Pastor was saying this morning, we would have been better off in Egypt when we were enslaved. We would have been better off dying in Egypt. God, I can't believe you would do this to us. God, Moses goes to God, God, I, I don't know what to do. And God takes Moses. He says, Moses, go to the tree at this lake, at this water that's toxic. I want you to throw this tree in the water. I'm going to make the bitter water sweet. And God does. He provides for Israel again. They get to another place called the wilderness of sin. It's a wilderness on the east side of Egypt. And, and they come to this place and they realize there's no food. There's no food in this, this wilderness. And they begin to complain once again. Again, we go the whole thing over again. You know, but we would have been better off in Egypt and blah, 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 blah. And they begin to complain again. God says, well, I'll provide you food. Moses goes to God, God, I don't know what to do. God says, I'm going to make food come down from heaven. Talk about fast food. God invented fast food. Manna from heaven, right? He provides for them. And then we come to Exodus 17. Look at with me at Exodus 17, verse number 1. The Bible says, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephadim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they're in the same situation again. 
Wherefore the people of Israel, wherefore the people did chide with Moses, they complained, and they said, Give us the water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore did ye tempt the Lord God? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is it that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? Sound familiar? Yeah, that's happened before. And then Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people, and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river, and take in thine hand and go. And behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock. And there will come water out of the rock that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, Meribah, because of the chiding of the children of Israel, and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Why do we complain? That's my question tonight. Why do we complain? In this passage, we, we, there's three reasons that I see that the children of Israel complained, and there are three reasons that we need to look out for in our own life. And I really believe that if we were to take these three reasons and we were to watch out for them, oftentimes we would avoid complaining completely. The first reason I see is that complaining comes when you forget your past. So look at me in verse number one again. Look at verse number one of Exodus 17. And the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after, after their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephadim. And there was no water for the people to drink. They come to this place called Rephadim. Now, Rephadim is the, is the Hebrew word for, for resting place. And so you could have imagined their excitement when they go from being in Mara, in the wilderness of sin where there's no food and there's no water, and they come to this place called Rephadim, and it's this place called the resting place. And finally, man, we're going to be able to get some rest. We're finally going to be able to, to, to have this rest that we've been wanting for so long. And they get there, and there's no water. They've been in this situation before. And in this moment, Israel forgets completely the amount of times that God has, God has provided for them. I mean, remember at the, at the Red Sea, God parted it. In the wilderness, at Marah, he made the bitter waters sweet. In the wilderness of sin, he provided manna. But in this moment, Israel just completely forgot everything that God had done. They forgot the fact that God had provided for them three times and brought them out of slavery. He, they completely forgot about it. Every time that Israel was in need, God provided for them. But in this moment, that didn't matter. How much like us does that sound like? I wonder, do you forget the amount of times that God has, has provided for you? Do you forget that time that God provided the finances when you needed it? Have you forgotten the time when, when God brought your prodigal home? Have you forgotten that every single time that God has provided for you? And oftentimes, we could avoid complaining if we would just look behind us. If we were to look at what God's already done, like, God, you've done this, you've done this, you've brought me to this point, and I know you knew what you were doing back there, and so I know that you're doing, you, you know what you're doing right now. And if we were to remember that, we could avoid complaining completely. Do the blessings of God leave an imprint on your heart? Like some of you may be going through something right now, and it is tough. It's just beating on you all the time, and it is hard. And you find yourself so often complaining, but if you were to just look at everything God's done in your past, you could avoid it. 
David said in Psalm 910, he said, And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. See, what David said is, you've never forsaken the people that seek you before, and I know that I'm seeking you right now, and so you will not forsake me because you never have before. David also said in Psalm 37, 25, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Again, hey, God, you've provided in the past. You've done what I know you, you, you've done what you can do in the past. You've done everything that I've needed in the past. And so right now, I know that you're going to do what I need you to do. So what David didn't do is he didn't complain. He didn't murmur. What he did is he he trusted God. He trusted and what God had done. And see, what we learn from this point is that when complaining starts, here's our key thought, when complaining starts, look behind you. Because some of us, we're going to spend our entire lives complaining, murmuring, telling God that you could have done better. When in reality, if you were to just look behind you and you would look at where God had you and what you could have been in, you would see that the time that you're in right now is a blessing that you can learn from. So when complaining comes, look behind you. The second, uh, the second reason that we can avoid, or the second reason for complaining in this passage is complaining comes when you focus on yourself. Look in verse number two. Wherefore the people of Israel, wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, "Give us water that we may drink." And Moses said unto them, "Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt the Lord God?" See, they come to this place, this, this resting place, and what they don't do is they, they, don't, they don't sit down, they don't take time, they don't say, oh man, look at what God did. They don't glorify God for what they did. The first question they ask when they come to Rephidim, they come to Rephidim and they say, hey Moses, where's our water? Like, hey, hey Moses, this is what we want. This is what we need. This is, our, this is our preference right now. Where's our water? No time to to glorify God. No time to thank God for what he had done. No time to trust God for what he had done. The only thing they do, the only person that they can think about is themselves. It was all about their desire. What the Bible says is that if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. That means if your desire is Jesus, you'll always have what you desire. You'll always have Jesus. But so often we spend our lives chasing what we want. Chasing our desires, chasing what we have. And, and, and that is going to lead you to complaining because you will never have everything you want. But if everything you want is Jesus, you'll always have what you want. You'll always have what you want. See, they felt like, they felt like water was what they deserved. I have, I have a lot of nephews and nieces that comes with having five sisters and uh, so I have a lot of nephews and nieces. And if I were to take any one of my nephews and I were to put a chocolate cake on the table, like let's say I set him right here, I put a chocolate cake right in the middle of this table and I put his dinner in front of him. Like I, I put a steak or, or chicken or something like that right here in front of him. And I say, okay, go ahead and eat your dinner. Now, if he eats the dinner with that chocolate cake in front of him the entire time, right? If he eats that dinner and I don't give him any chocolate cake, it is going to be World War III in my house, right? Because why, 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 why would that happen? Why would he get upset? Why? Because he feels like he's earned it. He feels like he, just, he deserves it. Like I ate my dinner, that give me my cake. My question tonight is what do you deserve? 
I know a lot of you thinking, like, oh, I grew up in Sunday school. I know we deserve hell. Like, that's what we deserve because of our sin. Wages of sin is death. I deserve hell. But no, listen, what do you deserve? Think about it. Do you deserve a new house? Do you deserve a new spouse? Do you deserve better kids? Do you deserve different parents? Because what you feel like you deserve is going to be what you complain about. What you feel like you deserve is going to be what you complain about. But what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 24, he says, let no man seek his own, but every man the wealth of others. See, what Paul says is, hey, don't spend your life looking for things that are going to please you. Don't spend your life pleasing your preferences. Don't spend your life doing what you want to do. Spend your life serving people. Spend your life serving the church. See, what Charles Spurgeon says, he said, I believe that many professing Christians are cold and uncomfortable because they are doing nothing for their Lord. But if they actively served him, their blood would begin to circulate spiritually and it would be well with them. See, what he's saying is because we don't spend any time serving, because we don't spend any time preferring one another, like the Bible so often says, that is why we're so miserable. Children of Israel, they were selfish. The only person they cared about was themselves. And that's what I'm asking tonight is the reason that you complain because you think about yourself more than you think about other people. What do you deserve? Because remember, what you deserve, what you feel like you deserve is going to be what you complain about. So are you going to spend the rest of your life complaining or are you going to spend the rest of your life serving? Here's our key thought from that point, is that when complaining comes, serve someone. Because I know in my life, when I have a complaining spirit, when I feel like, oh man, like I, I want that, or I wish I had this, or my life is terrible, when I serve someone, when I give to someone who needs something, when I help someone, man, I don't want to complain. Like I, just, I just did what God wanted me to do. I served someone, I helped someone. That I, don't, I don't have anything to complain about. So when complaining comes, serve someone. But thirdly, we see that complaining comes when you doubt God's love. Look at me in verse number seven. We'll come back to the rest of it, but skip down to verse number seven. The Bible says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Huh. Think about that. These people that have been provided for over and over and over again. Man, is God even here? You ever been there? I know I have. Like, you're like, man, I, everything's going wrong. You, know, you, you, you wish you had more money than you did. People aren't treating you the way that you deserve. <laughs> like, man, is God even here? Does he even love me anymore? Does he even care what's going on in my life? See, uh, one of the key ingredients to complaining are on the, lines of on, the, on the lines of the recipes of complaining is forgetting a truth that you learned in Sunday school. God loves you. If you forget that truth, yeah, you're going to complain. But if you remember that truth, you're not going to have anything to complain about. Think about it. The, the God that Pastor Yoder was talking about this morning, that God that's holy, that God that's perfect, that God that's sovereign, that God that created the universe, that God loves you. And I think that if we truly grasped that truth, we would have nothing to complain about. Nothing. 
Bible says in 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In, in Romans, the Bible says, Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. <laughs> Listen, church, grab, grasp that truth. Like, if you don't grasp that truth, sure, yeah, you're going to complain. But if you grasp the truth that God loves you, like, it's, it's become a cliche in our church. We don't think about it. We don't, we don't think about it in the churches in America. We don't think about the fact that God loves you. But if you remember that track, listen, if you remember that truth, you have nothing to complain about. You have nothing to complain about. This, this group of people that had been provided for over and over again, they ask, is God even with us? Does God, does God still care? Does he still love us? God was there. He provided for him again. And if you'll notice, every time that he, God doesn't respond to the complaining of the children of Israel. Right? He doesn't respond to it. But when Moses comes humbly before him and prays and says, God, I need your help, that's when God responds. That, that's when God responds to it. And it's interesting, God tells Moses to go to this rock that's in Horeb. And so Moses takes this hike to Horeb and, and, and he comes to this rock and, and, and God says, hey Moses, smite the rock with your rod and water comes out of the rock and God provides for the children of Israel just like he provides for us every single day. There's a deeper truth here that I want us to grasp because in, Second Corinthians, or in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul compares that rock to Jesus. When Israel couldn't provide for, for itself, when Israel couldn't provide water for themselves, God sent a rock. And when we couldn't provide for ourselves, God sent Jesus. When we couldn't provide a way to get to heaven on our own, on our own merit, because the law, the only thing the law does is condemn us. And when we couldn't get our way to heaven by following the law, God said, okay, I'm going to send a savior. I'm going to send someone to take that sin and he put his son on a cross. And just like when Israel couldn't provide water for themselves, we couldn't provide salvation for ourselves. But God sent a rock. He sent Jesus. Here's our, here's, our, here's our key thought from that point. When complaining comes, remember the gospel. If you remember the fact that, that God loved you enough to send Jesus, God loved you enough to, to provide that rock, you have nothing to complain about. Israel's complaining stopped for a short time after God provided for them. But their trials kept coming and coming and coming. And look, church, when you're, you're, you might go through something right now and God brings you through it, but the next one's coming because every moment is preparing you for a future moment. And some of you may be beating yourselves up right now because you're like, man, I complained every day this week. God's gracious. He'll provide for you. He forgives you if you'll go to him and ask for it. Go back to him. Stop complaining. And when complaining comes, when you feel like you're, when you, when you're going throughout this week, something goes wrong and you want to complain, remember these three, these three truths. When complaining comes, look behind you. Look at what God brought you from, not what God's bringing you into. When complaining comes, serve someone. Give to someone. 
provide for someone. And then when complaining comes, remember the gospel. Because if you remember the gospel, you have nothing to complain about. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this truth that you've left for us in Exodus 17. And God, I love you so much. I'm thankful for your word. Thank you for how applicable it is uh, to us every single day. And Father, I pray that we'll take these truths.